0: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings UFC 257. DraftKings picks and preview you out there. Here's what I want to know. I want you to smash the like button, but not so hard that you smash your screen or anything like that. But hit the, sm- hit the like button in the comment section. You give me the winner of Connor versus Poirier. You give me how it happens and in what round, and that would be fantastic. We'll see what the most common answer is. We'll try to feed it all through and see what you people think, and then I'll fade that because the consensus, as we know, generally tends to be wrong. But if you want some more fight-by-fight picks and bets, check out the Dogger Pass podcast right now on mayo media network please subscribe to the youtube page you get all of the ufc content you want every single week but more so for this week, because there's a lot going on, a lot of extra attention with Conor McGregor going around. Also, if you hit the description of this video or podcast, you can find the audio links for the audio podcast of the Dogger Pass podcast that breaks down each and every card fight by fight. There's also a hundred dollar giveaway on that. You go to Apple Podcasts, you rate and review five stars, the Dogger Pass podcast, leave either your Twitter handle or your email address, and you'll be in a draw for one hundred hard American dollars. Winners announced on the next episode of the podcast. Pass podcast. I'm very excited today because somehow, despite not being the largest UFC fan in the world, I have access to all of these people who are fucking great at this stuff. So I got Paul, I got Cody, and on the line with me right now from DailyFanMMA.com, he contributes a video to Mayo Media Network every single Friday. It is Brett Athley, one of the premier content producers and players on DraftKings. My man, what is happening? You fired up or what?
1: I'm fired up, Pat. There's nothing like a Conor McGregor fight week for sure. We are talking about it before the show. Just so many more eyes um, on the UFC than there would be on a typical slate. And it shows in the prize pool. It shows in this show. But yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And it's an honor to be on the show talking with you all. Well, the the biggest thing is, is two of the best producers of MMA content. You know, they were at
0: different places. Now they got their own thing going. So Brett's at dailyfanmma.com. You can find the links and everything in the description of this video. Also, now, the proprietor of the Mad Lab mma.com the actual second ever guest on the pat mayo experience mike if you remember we broke down floyd versus connor and you convinced me to lay the biggest bet of my life on floyd and i thank you for that mad lab what's going on
2: (laughs) what's going on guys how are you it's a pleasure to be here it's a pleasure to be here with you with brett what's going on i'm psyched about this big card
0: yeah so i I guess let's just jump into it connor poirier mad lab who's gonna win
2: uh uh-huh, there you go <laughs> so listen this is uh you could take this down narrative street all you want you know what i mean it's it there's so many casuals out there that you know they actually came into the ufc watching this stuff because of connor and you know tribute to him he's the one who kind of brought the money in he brought really this into the spotlight he's got the character he's got the swag but he's also got the skill you know these guys obviously fought once before um the thing the way i'm looking at this fight is a lot of people there's one narrative that a lot of people are giving poirier credit for they're saying listen he wasn't that guy he wasn't the same guy he's not the same guy as he was back then but you could say the same thing about connor this is a guy who obviously had his trials and tribulations with his personal life so he's also matured as a fighter as a fighter you know the way i'm looking at this is you know people tend to say that thing you know poirier's never been in a bad fight he's never been in a boring fight but that's that's really not a good thing if you really think about it, it takes two to tango uh, you know, so when you say that, this is a guy who's taking punishment and giving punishment. And there's a big difference between fighter, you know, fighting years and numerical, you know, age. And you know, there's something that, and if I can get scientific a little bit, there's something called axons that run through your brain. When you get hit, it's called axonal shearing. So if you want a picture like a computer or you want a picture, you know, when you're hooking up speakers to your TV, you have red, white, and yellow wires. You know, that's the sheathing on that wire. But inside that wire is your axons. So when you talk about somebody being chinny and somebody being, you know, uh, durable, that's really what you're talking about. You're not talking about their chin. You know, it, it has something to do with the rattling of the brain. But if you took a butter knife and you started shaving down that rubber of the wire, so every time you shave one way or the other way, that's another damaging punch. Once that sheathing starts to go, once that sheathing starts to fray, those wires aren't spitting fire. Those They're not signaling they're not signaling like they used to. So you become less and less durable as the time goes on. So if you look at all Poirier's fights, this is a guy who literally has been sheathing his wires his entire career. For us, you know, we love his fights. He's never been in a boring fight, but he's taken a lot of damage. He's very accurate. He's got great boxing. He's got, you know, great angles. He knows how to bait traps, Uh, but he tends to be very, very, very hittable in the process. He will come in to take two just to land one. When you look at Connor, yeah, you know, has he lost a couple of fights? If you really look at the landscape of his career – You know, there is a blueprint on him, and we all know what the blueprint is on him, but he's not as bad as a wrestler and as a grappler as people do think. The thing that I do like about him is he's he's extremely cerebral. This is a guy who literally visualizes things, and he creates these scenarios in his mind before they happen, and that's extremely important in fighting. And, you know, so the way I'm looking at this fight is – he hasn't really taken a lot of damages in his career. And he's more of a sniper. He's not going to sit there and unload five, six punches to land one or two. This is a guy who knows where he wants to go. He knows where he wants to place his feet, where he wants to set a trap. And everything that he throws counts. I think it's going to be a much better fight. I really do. I think it's going to be a much better fight than it was. But I just see that the, the scenario being the same. I see Connor, you know, either ended up catching him or um or just it's just going to be one of those fights where, even if it goes a little bit deeper, I think he's at a good weight right now. I think mentally he's he's there. I know your genetic code really dictates your your conditioning. You know, you could be your best, but it doesn't mean you're going to be somebody else's best. You know, your genetics play a big role in that. But I just think this is Connor's fight to win. This is a business. At the end of the day, they will lose a ton of money if Connor loses. I think it's Connor's fight to win or lose. The deeper it goes, Poirier's edge will start coming in. Uh, I just don't see it that way. I just see Connor finishing this thing.
0: So, Brett, 9100 bucks on DraftKings for Conor McGregor. We'll get to that in a second, but minus 310 on the money line for him just to win this fight. Are you paying a Conor tax because everyone wants to bet on him?
1: I mean, yeah, I'm not personally going to pay that line, but they're they're you know, it, I I think for Conor to be justified at this line, I would need to be certain that he's got cardio to go a hard 5 rounds, and I'm glad um, I'm glad Lab mentioned the grappling aspect because I think that's a common like misconception in Conor fights that he's a bad grappler where he's actually quite good. I think he's a quite good wrestler and grappler. And losing to Khabib, you know, doesn't really, isn't the isn't the baseline to whether you are a good wrestler or grappler or not. So I don't really see poirier having much of a path to victory on the ground the path to victory i see for poirier is an extended fight like mike mentioned over five rounds making this a war connor more so than grappling has had trouble with cardio in the past whether it be against nate diaz whether it be against floyd mayweather you know he's explosive and he tires out and and that doesn't mean he has horrible cardio but in the early rounds i definitely favor connor and i think as this fight gets extended there's potential for him to slow down Poirier's been in many of these wars before you know he's coming off a 25 minute fight against Dan Hooker in which he lost those first two rounds and came back in the final 15 minutes strong so um, Connor's tough because we don't see him that much and for me to pay north of minus 300 I would need to be pretty certain that you know, I, I know he's in the gym, but I would need to be pretty certain that he can fight a hard 25 minutes and he'll say everything to the media to make you think that he's in the best shape of his life. Um, he's never been a better fighter and it, I want to buy it. But, you know, um, in that first fight against Nate Diaz, like he was on top of the world and it, it only took about seven minutes for him to gas out. And then he went back to the drawing board, came back the second time around and, looked phenomenal over 25 as compared to his first fight and my, my fear here is that he's just not in you know prime 25 minute fight shape so i would love to pay like a you know minus 220 minus 250 line on connor but north of minus 300 um i would need to be pretty certain that he has a path to victory outside of an early knockout
0: well lab yeah the minus 315 that's what it is it drafting sportsbook right now the consensus that i seem to be getting from a lot of people is everyone thinks connor's going to win this fight but they don't want to pay this price which means that he's overvalued in the betting market yet no one seems to want to take the plus 255 on poirier
2: yeah you know i you got to remember too a lot of the money that's rolling in and you know disagree with me if, I, if you think I'm wrong but a lot of the money rolling in is on the is from the casual standpoint oh, yeah. you know the, <laughs> these guys look at this guy as he's a god and they're not looking at the nuances like me and Brett look at and Cody and, and Paul like we look at the nuances we look at the actual realities uh, of the fight game and a majority of the money rolling in is obviously the casuals if I were to lay a line on this personally I'd like to hear what you would lay on it too uh if you were if you were set in line I would probably lay it at maybe like minus 155 for Connor in terms of what you think the
1: fight should be, or
2: what—that's what, that's really what I think it's—that's that's what I think. No, that's what I think the line should be. I think about 155, minus one fifty-five, one six, minus one fifty-one, five, one sixty.
1: Um, yeah, I'd probably. I mean, I, I'd push it closer to minus two hundred, just because I, I think I, I think Poirier's path to victory is like a hard twenty-five minute war, and it's just, and but Connor can win that same fight too, and Connor also has. I think a much, much higher chance of winning by knockout in the early rounds. And you talked about durability. You know, we've never really seen Connor hurt and stunned. So just in terms of how each fighter can win, um, if I thought Poirier could take this fight to the ground often, or if I if I did think Connor, if I did think the gas issues like were real in this fight, and I thought there was a good chance that he would gas out, then yeah, closer to even minus 140, minus 150 makes sense. Um, speculating a bit, but just based on you know Poirier's path to victory being a, a tight, hard-fought 25 minutes, I, I'd make it a little bit higher, probably closer to minus 200.
0: Well, look, looking at the knockout prop right now, it's minus 190 for McGregor to win by knockout, so that's even higher. And more juice. I mean, that's what you like. Basically, Brett, what you said that you know, put it minus 200. Let's say for Connor, that's maybe what the true line is. Lab says around like minus 150, minus 160. This knockout prop is what the actual value in this fight is going to be. It just I I uh, don't want to bet Poirier because I think that Connor's going to win. I'm one of these casuals that Labs talking about, and this is, is a fight that I would go bet on when I normally wouldn't go bet on UFC, and that's why you have to pay the Connor tax when it comes down to it. But. The more we talk about it is like and maybe this is a better DraftKings question. Lab, if you were is Poirier a better DraftKings play than a bet? Because if he wins, is he gonna score a lot of points because it's gonna be over five rounds?
2: Well, they're definitely, he's definitely a better DraftKings play. Uh, just for the mere fact that I think the fight will be extended this time. And that's where they're both going to be tested, right? So at $7,100, if you look at Poirier, I mean, seven of his 10 fights are over 100 points in DraftKings. I mean, it's just one narrative right there. Then you look at Connor, you know, on his end, $9,200 is a, is a expensive price tag too, but eight of his last 10 wins over a hundred points. You know what I mean? So both of these guys have the ability to score. If this thing gets extended, like we said earlier, he's never been in a boring fight. He's going to make it a dog fight. The longer it goes, there's going to be strikes thrown. He's not going to take a back step. Um, you know, so the points will be there if it gets extended. So yeah, he definitely holds more value uh, in DraftKings. Uh, But as far as, you know, what the better play is. I think they both believe it or not. I think they both hold value at both of their prices. Hmm,
0: That's kind of strange in the, in the betting market. If you were to take Poirier, Brett,
1: would it be Poirier by decision? Um, I mean, I, I guess if I had to pick, yeah, but like, I do think, you know, one of his, one of his path to victories is the cardio failure. And so if Connor gets tired by round three, let's say that would give Poirier, you know, 12, 10 minutes to finish the fight um and and he is a capable grappler so i wouldn't say like i'm so excited to pay by decision for poirier as opposed to inside the distance but if i had to pick a path to victory for poirier it probably would be decision but like i mean if mike said he thinks connor's minus 155 here then then poirier would be a value just at his straight money line at plus 265 or plus Two thirty-five across the board, um, but yeah, if I if I had to pick the the most likely path to victory for Poirier, it would be a decision. Yeah, uh, decision right now at DK sportsbook because plus six fifty
0: for Poirier. It's, pl- it's plus six fifty for both of them to win by decision. If you wanted to bet individually that way, so the books are not expecting it to go to a decision, which leads me, Brett. I'll go back to you on this one. Do you stack this fight on DraftKings? Uh, hoping it goes a bit longer and you pile up those strikes. But like, as Lab said, you know, Connor's not necessarily the biggest volume thrower in the world. He's going to be precise. He's not going to pile up all those significant strikes. And is that still a viable method for main events with the new DraftKings scoring?
1: Well, I mean, Connor can pile up significant strikes over 25 minutes. I- I'm definitely 100% not stacking this fight in tournaments. I-, I get this question all the time. It's just, if you're trying to beat out you know, 50,000 other people, you need to have equity for six wins. And stacking a fight in, in tournaments means that at, at most, you're going to get five wins. And there's just, I mean... Almost, you know, very, very small chance that you're going to come out with the optimal lineup, unless it's like a Holloway versus Volkanovsky situation. I think it's the last time we saw it, but that was like a 10 fight card and there's 12 fights. Fingers crossed they stay on at Fight Island. Um, there's zero chance that I'm, uh, I'm stacking this fight in tournaments. In cash games, I do think it makes sense. And also though, with the new DraftKings scoring system, losers are going to score a lot less in fights now than they did in the past scoring system because you know losers of fights are not going to get a lot of top control they're not going to land a lot of non-significant strikes and significant strikes are now 0.4 instead of 0.5 so there's just even less of a reason whereas if uh let's say in the past scoring system Poirier goes out there and lands 140 significant strikes puts up 70 points now off the top of my head what that would be somewhere closer to, to 50 points so it's just—it's absolutely not worth it for me to stack in tournaments.
0: Lab, do you think you'll have either one of these two guys on like a main lineup that you play this week on DraftKings?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. But as far as stacking, no, I was never a big proponent in stacking fights. I just feel like, like Brett said, you're going in with a lost cash game. You can make a little different argument, but yeah, I'm—I'm I'm definitely gonna have a piece because my personal opinion, I think, either way this goes, I think if. Connor's going to win. It's going to be by finish, and I believe if Poirier's is going to win, it's going to be by late finish. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to have a piece both ways on this.
0: Yeah, hmm, interesting. So that's the one fight we go to. Connor, obviously, 9,100 bucks. If you want to go up to it, is there anyone else at the top end lab that you see that you'd be like, no, that that guy you need to put in because it would be just thinking about how these guys and it might actually work out to the favor of someone coming in. Like you look at Roundtree; he's 9,300 bucks. And if a lot more, like you said, casual betters are playing, but a lot more casual players are playing DraftKings kings as well. Like no NFL money is running out. Oh, there's only you know, four game or two games. I can only play so much. Maybe I'll throw in a UFC lineup. to look at Roundtree, 9,300 bucks, 55 points per nine and four record. But his path to a knockout in this fight seems better, I would think, than like some of the higher end guys, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, he uh, he's definitely uh, one of my higher upside guys to uh, to play. This is a guy who, you know, he went overseas. You know, he really tried to tighten up his, uh, his Muay Thai game. He looked really, really good, man, uh, you know, when he came back and he fought Anders and he knocked out, you know, Eric Anders, even though that's not a big, you know, feather in your cap. He ended up coming back, he ended up losing. But, you know, he's fighting this guy that really he's been knocked out, you know, all, all three fights in in the UFC, all in the first round. So, I mean, if you're if you're into numbers and you're into metrics, which I'm not really super high on it, but that just tells you right there that there's major, major upside. But Khalil Roundtree, on the other hand, too, is he's no lock with anybody. I mean, this is a guy who can come in and look great like he did against Anders, and then he can come back and look fucking terrible. So, but, the, but it's there. It's there for the taking. It's just who shows up, what Roundtree shows up. But I like that as a high upside play. It's definitely one of my looks.
0: Uh, Brett, where are you looking at the very high end here if you're going to start your lineups, do you think?
1: Well, Roundtree's definitely one of them um, for a lot of the reasons that that Mike mentioned. And he's, what, minus 325 to win, and he's minus 195 inside the distance. It just, it, it doesn't take a genius to look at Marcin Prakniau. He's been knocked out in the first round in all three of his UFC fights. He cannot take a punch. He doesn't really have a deep skill set. Um, Yeah he's been knocked down four times in nine minutes and (laughs) Roundtree hits very hard and the metrics are there the inside distance lines there so I think Roundtree is going to be one of the the most popular fighters on the entire slate potentially more popular than Connor just because I, I do think a lot of people will play Dustin Poirier at 7.1 K and I'm not sure a lot of people will play other fighters in this bottom tier. So round. is going to be very expensive. The only issue with fighters like this, and we can throw uh Ottoman Isatar into the same category. He is at 8.8 K and he's a first round finisher and and what is he he's a not as likely to win only minus 155 but he's you know plus 120 inside the distance he's fought twice in the UFC he has two first round knockouts guys like these are great to target in tournaments because you know when they win it's very likely going to be an early finish the problem is that outside of that first round finish they have a very limited path to the winning lineup so there it's this boomer bust tendency that they have um I'm still going to target these guys in tournaments um, but the, there's other fighters in this range too Evloev, Reboss, Saruki, and they're all grapplers. Grapplers, I think, score better under this new um, scoring system. However, like they're safer, but they maybe have a little bit less upside.
0: Lab, are there types of fighters that you think you just generally tend to avoid at the high price on DraftKings because even if they get there it's not going to be as much as round winning in 57 seconds kind of thing that you almost have to gamble on that early finish or do you like to take the safer people at the top and be like well if Roundtree doesn't win in the first round he's probably gonna like lose so i'll just take the guy against him
2: <laughs> yeah no you know what i it's it, to me it's very matchup predicated you know what i mean so like when, when you look at some of these numbers and you could say like you know uh say Michael Chandler had, you know, five takedowns or six takedowns against somebody. Maybe that guy was just a ball to the wall striker with no takedown defense. But now he's fighting a guy that has some legit wrestling, maybe a division one pedigree behind them. You got to kind of weigh it out. So it's really matchup predicated for me. Um, But I tend and this really goes against my fibers because I was born and bred, you know, with boxing. I tend to lean towards the grapplers. If I know somebody's a grappler, I know somebody's a wrestler. Right there, I'm going to look at their matchup, and I want to see, you know, what the deal is there. But just because, like Brett said, with the control time, especially with the new scoring, uh, they seem like they're kind of gearing towards wrestlers more and more and more. And even though the previous scoring was that way as well, it's even more so uh, now. So if you're getting a guy who wants control and you need control, and that's going to give you more points. The control are going to be, you know, the guys that, you know, like to go into the sandbox and like to, you know, tussle, you know, on the ground.
0: Do you think that this card, the way that it shapes up, leans more towards jamming in some stars along with some scrubs, try to get some upsets in there? Or is it more of a balance type card where you see some like legitimate value in the mid range?
2: Is that me or Brett? That's you. Oh, it's me. Uh, you know, this card. I was I was actually going to ask your both of your opinions on this. I actually think this card is priced very very well, and there's value all over the card. Some cards, like last card, I didn't believe it was priced out very well. It was very hard, you know, to assemble certain things. This card, there is literally from top to bottom. I see value everywhere. So, I like to stay in the mid tier. I think a lot of the, especially the casuals when you go into these big tournaments, 30,000 people, you know, they kind of go right to the top and then they go right to the bottom, and they kind of avoid that that mid-range where that's where you really got to do your homework. You got to do your homework on the McMahon's and stuff like that. Where, you know, the, a lot of these guys are going to go in and they they plug and play. You know, and that's when I tell the guys that, you know, that subscribe and to me and stuff, I tell them, listen, I always start from the bottom. You always start from the bottom of the list. Get your dogs and stuff first. And then work your way up, and usually you're going to find that in that mid mid range is where the sweet spot is.
0: Yeah, Brett, when you consider ownership as you're constructing your lineups, because obviously you're playing multiple lineups, do you find that there is more of a tendency for people to go with the names, especially
1: on this card, like Connor will be the highest owned guy, right? Um. I haven't made projections yet but I would say yeah he'll be one of them if not the highest owned but uh, but you know people every single week people look at the underdog in the main event and they go oh my god I can't believe he's priced at that and I think there's there's a, just as much as there's a lot of people who love Connor there are a lot of people who hate him and Dustin Poirier at 7.1k there's going to be a lot of people who play him I think so that'll reduce Connor's ownership a little bit along with the fact that again Roundtree's there and he's a, an obvious target Azatar's there he's an obvious target and then you got some grapplers mixed in um, it, it's setting up for stars and scrubs in that way. where just at the top of the range. There are many options that you can choose from, but the problem with playing stars and scrubs, again, you need six wins. And if you're paying up for expensive fighters, you're going to need to pay down uh, to save salary somewhere. And I just don't see I don't see a ton of obvious names at least. So it it feels more like a, dart. you know, seven, seven point five K and below feels kind of like a dart throw range to me. I tend to like going in the mid range just for the reasons that, that Mike said, these guys are lower owned. Um, a lot of them still have upside. And in this particular slate, I do think there are at least a couple fights that potentially have value in this mid range. Hooker Chandler is one of them. McMahon Pena is another one. Um, mike i was curious on your opinion of michael chandler because you know this is the the co-main event on this slate and he'll be making his ufc debut and um i i think like conceptually fighters coming over from other organizations whether it be the regional scene bellator pfl whatever are kind of overvalued and i i person i personally like hooker in this matchup um I haven't really deep studied on a tape on Chandler before this week. Obviously I've watched him in Bellator. He's a a very good fighter, but like, I wasn't as impressed with Chandler's skill set as I thought I might be heading into tape. And I feel like, um, you know, this fight's approaching even money Chandler's a value at 7.7 K. I feel like this is actually a pretty decent stylistic matchup for Dan hooker. Um, But I was curious what your read was.
2: Yeah, you know, I've been following him, you know, for a long time. And he is one of those guys that's coming out from Bellator that I don't think uh, is your normal Bellator fighter. I think this guy should have been in the UFC four or five years ago. I think that would have been a perfect opportunity for him to come. You know, and if you look at, you know, Hooker, this is a guy who is extremely durable. He's going to have the height. He's going to have the longer range. And, you know, obviously he's punching down and Chandler's punching up. But Chandler's power is extremely, extremely underrated. I know he's a little bit chinny. I, 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 he's been rocked numerous times, you know, but he's also, a lot of people don't know, he's a Division One All-American wrestler. This is a guy who's got a serious, serious wrestling pedigree behind him. And when you're that low to the ground, you're fighting a taller guy. I know if you're going for, you know, certain takedowns, it's hard to elevate the taller guy. But this is a guy who goes for blast double legs. He's going to go from nonstop. Uh, So if he can find his hips, if he can lay a bead on his hips, I think that that line is is right. I think that this should be close to even money. Um, You know, Dan Hooker is a a very durable fighter, very good fighter. But you got to think, you know, when you're in a war like he was in with Barboza, you leave a part of yourself in the cage. You know what I mean? So this is this is a fight where it's interesting to me because it's really going to be who's going to get what they want. Chandler's gonna can't be baited into a firefight with this kid because he does believe in his power a little bit too much. Um, and he can be knocked out. And he's, I don't know if he can knock out Hooker. I know he's got the power to knock out a lot of people, but Hooker's so durable. So he's gonna need to take this to the ground. So I'm super, I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even fully sold on either side yet, mm-hmm. you know. So, but I think the line is about right. And I think that a lot of people are gonna be sleeping on Chandler for the mere fact that nobody really knows who he is because a lot of people just target the UFC. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I And I agree with you about the wrestling. Like, I kind of look, look at him as a wrestler. I don't really think he has a deep enough technical skill set on the feet to really win in the UFC lightweight division at the top. Like, I, I feel like there's a chance that Hooker kind of picks him apart um, while this fight plays out in the feet. You mentioned the durability, the height, the length, the volume. Um, Chandler, he, you know, he's got a lunging right hand. He's got a right body kick. He's very explosive, but along with the the power, the explosiveness, he gets tired. So I feel like his path to victory is kind of wrestling here. And then it's just, you know, D one all American wrestler. Is that enough? I I would project him to land at least one takedown in this fight. I just, I haven't, like you mentioned at the start of the show, looking at numbers, you see a guy lands five takedowns and then you kind of go back and watch the competition, a lot of a lot of the fighters Chandler's been facing in Bellator are just they're, they're weak. They're just weak grapplers. And so I've I've been struggling a little bit on how to quantify that. Cause he, he look he looks great, but the level of competition in, in the mid tier of Bellator is just nothing compared to the top tier in the UFC lightweight division. And Dan Hooker's no elite wrestler, but he's a purple belt in jujitsu. He's got those knees coming in, um, the guillotine he's crafty. So, uh, yeah that is actually one of my favorite fights on the
2: slate yeah i can you said everything perfect i can't agree more with everything you said yeah that's that's honestly probably the one fight i mean i'm really it sounds crazy to say it and people will give me shit for this but i'm probably more intrigued by the outcome of that fight than the conor poirier fight
0: so what happens to the person that wins this fight because didn't poirier and poirier beat hooker right
1: yes yeah. it was competitive
0: so if what the hell is the guy's name? Chandler ends up winning. Like, does that vault him into, like, legitimate contender status right away?
2: Well, my opinion of Chandler is – I I love him. I've been – like I said, I've been watching him for a long time. But he is a little bit of a prima donna. And I could see him having certain contract – things in his contract that say, like, listen, if you win this – fight, I mean, they were letting him pick and choose who he wanted to fight for his debut fight in the UFC. He was turning fights down. He was doing this. Like, he's coming in almost like they owe him something. You know what I mean? And I understand why he's a little – you know bitter about things. He feels like he should have been there sooner, but part of that was, you know, his problem. Uh, but I I I don't see them not giving him like a, a big, big shot here. Uh, maybe like the loser of the, the poirier Connor fight, or he's definitely gonna get a very high-profile fight after this, without a doubt. I don't see him sign a contract if it wasn't He's getting older, you know. He's only got a, probably a couple years left, even though in numerical age, this guy's been in some 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 wars, man.
0: So Brett, I'm going to throw this to you first. If we're going to save money on this slate, like you mentioned Poirier, we know that Poirier is going to be popular. Let's throw out Poirier from this. If you actually have to save some salary from somewhere in the sevens, where do you think you go?
1: Hmm, somewhere in the sevens. Um, Well, I I do think Chandler is going to be a popular target at 7.7 because of his money line. Um but like I is the same odds basically.
0: Yeah. I, I is, you know, minus 105 instead of plus 105. She's $100 more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm not touching Jessica I because she's well, maybe I shouldn't say I'm not touching her, but she's not the type of scorer that I want on DraftKings. Michael Chandler at the very least has wrestling grappling upside. Has some finishing upside. He's very powerful. He's a good wrestler. Um, Jessica I is more of a boxer and you just look through her you just look through her her wins on DraftKings 72 points 67 63 70 i don't think her inside distance line in this fight is very strong i don't have the number in front of me but it's probably north of plus 300 there's just not enough there's not enough upside in jessica i uh for me to target her at that number if I was to play someone in the 7.4k's, um, I haven't really, I haven't released my breakdowns yet, which is why I'm kind of looking at this on the spot.
0: T- tune in Friday, Not- tune in Friday to Mayo Media <laughs> Network, and then go to Daily Fan MMA, and you can find all of this. I'm, I'm just very curious because I've been looking like, how do I back end my teams? Like, is it Marina Rodriguez? Like, can well- she can she win?
1: The thing is there, there's just so many, there's so many different ways you could go. I I think Marina Rodriguez could win. Sure. But it would have to be in a situation where Amanda Reba says, you know what, I'm going to test Which she's, she's actually said this, but I, I, you know, I'm going to test my striking. I know I can beat her on the ground, but I want to prove to people I'm a a better striker than they think. Let's, let's see if I can stand and bang here in that particular type of, of fight. I think Marina Rodriguez can absolutely win. Um, it's hard to project her for, for a high win equity because the path to victory for Rebus on the ground is still there. So I'm not going to have a ton of Rodriguez, but yeah, she could win. Hack Parast I think, has a real path to victory. He's a very solid fighter, a good boxer. Um, Frivola has a path to victory, theoretically. Carlos Jr. is a very good grappler. Hack Perast is an interesting one to me. Um, this is another one of maybe not my favorite like DraftKings fights on the slate, but these are two... Legit young talented prospects in this same lightweight division, and it wasn't you know that long ago where Hack was like minus two fifty over Drew Dober, who's you know one of the best uh, lightweights in the world, and now Sarukian's minus two ninety over him. Um, Sarukian's a, a, a very strong wrestler and improving on the feet, but a young kid, 24 years old, he hasn't been tested a lot. Hackprass is coming off a win against Alex Munoz, which was a similar stylistic matchup. He had to defend takedowns. And again, he's just a, a very technical, sharp boxer. He's got a lot of knockdowns in the UFC. So I think there's a path to victory for Pras at the very least, should he be able to defend some takedowns. Um, this fight could get interesting in striking exchanges. Lab, before you give away
0: all of the goods at the dot later on in the week, along with the bets and all the DraftKings plays, is there one of these cheap fighters that does stick out to you? Be like, oh, like I can actually build around that. Like when you said you like to work from the bottom up, does one of these fighters stand out to be like, oh no, like that? That's a good play.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's new, there's numerous amounts of them. I mean, there's, there's so many, but you know, I, I got to be honest with you. One of my one that i'm really liking i know like brett said he's probably going to be a little bit highly on it is i really like chandler um you know as the do- as a dog here i'm not saying to pick to win but i'm saying just his chances he's got so like the a culmination of his career really has been waiting for this time so if there's going to be a time where he's going to solidify what he's done in mma it's got to be in this fight and they're giving him an opportunity to do that. They're not giving him something, someone super, super high profile where they're kind of putting his back against the wall. But if he does lose this fight, the question marks are going to swirl so much about this guy. You know, yeah, he was so good in, in in here and this in this organization. But then he comes to the UFC and he loses to Dan Hooker. You know, Dan Hooker, we know, is a very good fighter, but a lot of people don't know who Dan Hooker is. So the general masses are going to look at that like, all right, this guy was, you know, running roughshod on people early in his career in all these organizations, but then he comes to the UFC. So this is a this is a fight like I said where it's really who do what are the who's going to get what they want? Is he going to be able to employ to wrestling? If he does, you're looking at ground control. You're looking at takedowns. You're looking at him really being able to dial in and put a beat on his hips where he might be able to time his double blasts. And you don't know, you know, the the hooker. You don't it's you know after certain wars like that, you know, like I said, you leave a part of yourself in a cage. And when you're a striker, and a guy takes you down for the first time, and he, you could see maybe he does it, you know, for, uh, on an easier level. You're defending two levels at this point. You just can't let leather go, because now you got to worry about a guy. You know, you're overextending, or you're throwing down, and you're exposing your hips. So you got to fight a little bit tentative when that guy shows you. Look, I can take you down. I did it. I'm going to do it again. You can't sit there and just open up and throw leather. You got to worry about two levels now. Now you got to worry about your hips. You got to be taking him down. You got to worry about the power that he does have. So, I think there's value there, you know, but there's there's value all over this card. He he mentioned one before, Fravola. I mean, this is a guy with a super high motor, good wrestling, uh, good power. Um he, I'm a little questionable about his chin. Brett, would you agree with that? Yes, very questionable. You know, questionable. And some of his decision making, but He's a wrestler. He's a high motor wrestler. Sanchez is another guy. High motor wrestler. Cardio is probably worse than mine, but (laughs) really, I'm going to, you know, my cardio sucks, you know, but, uh, you know, these are guys with high motors right out of the gate, and if they hit that, you know, that flow and their cardio is a little bit better or, or, you know, they made the adjustments, these are guys who all have potential. So, you know, that's what I look for. I look for guys with high motors, high cage IQs, um, and, you know, you, you kind of match that and mesh it together, and you see what you can liquefy, and you take it from there. It's very matchup based for me. So
0: before uh, we, I – was going to say, Brett, before we get out of here, I did want to know, at the very high end, is there someone like – if you look at, like, Evalev, you're like, just no. 9400 bucks, No. Because it doesn't seem like anyone's going to own him.
1: Um, Yeah, I, I never just flat-out say no because, I mean, th- this guy's a, another very, very talented prospect. He's a very good grappler. Um, he already put up 110 points in a decision win, but I, I do think more than likely he's going to miss the optimal lineup here. I, I don't know if he's even going to want to play on the ground with Nick Lentz. So uh, he could win this fight. I think wherever he wants to, I'm not going to be playing Evloev much on this slate. I, I did want to mention one, one game theory, very, very cheap play, which is Prachniao in that round tree fight we already talked about. It, it's a, this style of DraftKings play is not something that I excel in. I have much more of a cash game mindset, I think safety, but I guarantee you a lot of sharp players are going to be on this guy because um, –
2: Why so, though? I'm curious to know that.
1: Yeah, so uh, – and I'm talking about more of, like, the the, the, the pro DFS players, not, not necessarily the MMA analysts um, – I mean, Pratchniel still has more than a 25% implied chance to win right there. So if you're just looking at the numbers, it's not like we can say, oh, Pratchniel, oh, he's got 1% chance, 2%. The odds are telling you he's got, you know, 27% chance to win. Um, He's very, very cheap, and I think he's going to be extremely low owned in a fight that's minus 165 to be under one and a half rounds. And as much as we talked about Roundtree and I already said, I really like Roundtree and I'm picking Roundtree to win by first round knockout. And I'm going to have a lot of exposure to Roundtree. Roundtree has been knocked out in the first round in both of his last two losses. So if, if Prachnyal is to win, I think it's pretty likely going to be an early knockout and I would project him off the top of my head to be, 7% owned or something like no one's no one wants to play this guy. And it's not it's not the type of fighter that I would invest much in. It's more for if you're playing, you know, 20, 50, 150 lineups. But at the very least, it's an interesting game theory target because he's gonna be sub-10% owned. Round is gonna be probably north of 40%, and he's got a ton of upside um and higher than 25% implied win win percentage. So it's it's I don't think I'm going to be necessarily building around any one particular fighter in this bottom tier. But again, if you like, for example, if you really like Conor McGregor, you want to play Conor McGregor. If you really like a Zytar, you want to play him. You want to pay up for Dan Hooker. You want to pay up for Amanda Rebus, whoever, and you're forced to punt, you know, you're already not playing round tree. Maybe you just take a chance on the other guy in a fight that again is minus minus one sixty-five under one and a half rounds.
0: I'm always curious about that lab that if you do have a fade at the top, like, do you, do you care ever about what the ownership is? Or are you like, no, this person's going to score 125 points. I need that person.
2: No, you know, I got to be honest with you. The last card, Lizes. I told my guys, pull the reins back on this guy because Worley Alves, I, I watched him for years and this is a guy that I call him Jekyll and Hyde. There's a lot of Jekyll and Hyde fighters. This is a guy who, if you get the Alves that he can be, it was going to be a dog fight. I didn't expect it to end like that, but I thought he could turn this into a dog fight. And I literally, and I know Liz was super high owned and the same thing like Brett said about Evolo, like, you know, well, unfortunately people I think are on him. but no, I don't go by that. I really don't. I go by, I don't even look at the lines until my, until I'm kind of done, you know, with my breakdowns. I don't like to be swayed. I don't like, I kind of trust my own process. I don't really look at numbers that much. I do more of the eye test. And then I'll go back and look. And if I'm like, okay, well, this guy's supposed to win, but why is he such a dog? Then maybe I'll check. I'll say, am I missing something? You know, but I always say when you're building a lineup, the best thing I could tell you is this is if it comes too easy, everybody has it. If a lineup just falls into your lap and you're like, this thing looks fantastic. Chances are everybody's going to have it, you know? So you want to, you, you got to, kind of go against the grain and make yourself difficult and be uncomfortable. The more uncomfortable you make yourself. I mean, for me, I know the more uncomfortable I wake up and I look at my lineup. So I'm like, these fucking things are putrid. You know, <laughs> those are the ones that win, you know, you got to dare to be different and you got to kind of, and I, I'm not, I'm not talking from a cash perspective. Uh, you know, Brett, obviously, uh, will tell you better about the, you know, the cash, you know, uh, avenue of it. But for me, it's the more uncomfortable I feel, the better my results tend to be.
0: Well, your, your subs results have been pretty good recently, I've seen.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been doing good, man. I'm, I'm pleasantly, uh, I'm very happy. We've been doing very well.
0: Uh, so, Brett, uh, last thing on game theory when it comes down to it. So if you can identify, let's say when you run your projections and you see that, like, let's say Roundtree projects to be one of the highest owned. let's say Rebus does as well. Do, like, and as you mentioned, like, DFS, Pro Daily Fantasy DraftKings players, will just inherently just look at the the win percentage, go to the other side of that. Do you think that is a smart way to play if you're playing 50 lineups? Because like you mentioned, like if one person's 40% owned, one person's 7% owned, not only do you have a low owned player that scores really highly, the majority of the field also has a player in their lineup who's super highly priced that didn't score anything.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think it makes more sense from like a construction standpoint. Like if one fighter is 40% owned and one fighter is 38, it doesn't play whoever you want. Right. It doesn't really matter. But if you're playing a fighter who's 40% owned plus a 40% owned plus a 30% owned plus, you know, the highest owned underdog, 25% owned plus, you know, 30% owned, then it's you're you, you have almost no win equity. So, um, ownership is, is, not important in the sense that you still want to play the best plays and the fighter with the, the fighters with the highest ceilings, but in terms of a construction standpoint, you don't necessarily want them all in the same lineup. So it's fine to play, you know, round tree if he's the most expensive fighter, but maybe you don't, you don't pair him with the other four most popular uh, fighters on the slate. So I, I definitely look at ownership, but more from a, a general construction approach rather than just fighter a is, is, and fighter B is 30%. Therefore I'm going one way or the other. That doesn't mean as much to me,
0: but if you can identify who the highest owned players are, does that put you in a better position to take the other side of that fight? I guess is my question.
1: Sure. I mean, of course, and sometimes, you know, I'll like to say, you know, if you're already going to be light on a Fighter X. For example, if you if you go through your lineups and like let's say Amanda Rebos was 35% owned and you know you're not going to be on her, well it, it might make sense to just double dip and take some of the underdog because if in your mind that the way, you know, the way that you're going to win is if Rebos is not on the optimal lineup, well maybe she's not in the optimal lineup because she just lost the fight. So, yeah, it does make sense and I and I like to I tend to target like fights as a whole more than individual fighters. It's much easier to identify fights that are high scoring than one individual fighter just because it's such a high variance game. So um yeah, of course if you know a fighter like Roundtree like we know Roundtree is going to be very, very expensive. You have the opportunity if you would like to take a couple pivots, pivots, to take a couple dart throws on the underdog. We know Connor McGregor is going to be very expensive. The, the, or sorry, the very popular, the, the popular fighters aren't going to be, it's not going to be a shock who they are. So um, it's always, it's always worth at least considering adding leverage to your portfolio by taking the lower owned underdog in a, against an opponent who's going to be highly owned.
0: All right, Lab, before we get out of here, can you see yourself constructing any lineups that don't go into the nine thousand dollar range, like starting at eighty-eight or eighty-nine?
2: Um Yeah, yeah, I actually can. I actually can. You know, and that's where I like when you're going into these big tournaments, sometimes you do have to do that. I mean, um, I I wouldn't say I do it too often, but I've done it, you know, and this is a card where, like I said, there's there's kind of value all over the board. I mean, there's there's plays on here, you know, under seventy four hundred that my eye went right to where these guys have some legitimate windows to win. And I always say windows like somebody will open up a window and, you know, the guy has a path to jump through. So, yeah, I can see it happening. You know, um, I, do I know if it's going to? I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I got to kind of like Brett does. I, I do my projections and I see what happens from there. But, yeah, you could definitely I mean, God, we've seen lineups win Brett. What was that one lineup that won a couple months ago? There was like two thousand something dollars on the table.
1: Well this the card that started this year uh, the, the two highest priced fighters on the slate both got knocked out in the first round, Buckley and Ponzinibbio, so all the money was on you know the the, the combo of the two cheapest fighters on the slate. so it, it, it happens yeah, it happens way more often than you think, and I
2: want uh, Hamilton, I want fucking Hamilton back. <laughs>
1: it's funny it's funny how you keep you keep bringing up you'll never let anthony hamilton i wish that guy was you know i actually don't know how he's doing but i'd like to never think about him again to be quite honest um and and pat i think most people will target at least one fighter in the 9k range so if you were to create a lineup that doesn't have any fighters above 9k you're probably going to be you're going to have a decent chance to be unique i don't think there's as many like obvious great you know Dominant wrestlers, knockout artists in in the mid tier as some past slate, so I'll be inclined to pay up for a McGregor here, Roundtree there type of thing, but um, you certainly can create a handful of lineups that that don't hit the nine k range that still have uh, strong win equity. All
0: right, MadLab, the MadLabMMA dot Tell everyone what is up on the site, what they can get, and give me give me your final thoughts on this card.
2: I've got two requests first. Let's hear it. One request is I want to do a shooey with Paul one day. That's one request. <laughs> and another request is I, I, I want to bang heads with Cody in boxing one day. I want to talk shop with
0: him. Oh, listen, if you want to reach out, I mean, I can't speak for Cody, but I know he wants someone to talk boxing with.
2: <laughs> There's nobody, but I. I it's, it's, a, it's like a dying breed, man.
0: Is there a big card coming up for boxing?
2: for for guys like me and him yeah because there's guys on there that have that legitimately talented boxers but a lot of the masses don't really know who they are but i mean if we went through a card me and him we would, we would be able to pinpoint like who's good who's up and coming but there's no really flashy name i mean if you're thinking about logan paul you know that's what right?
0: that that's, like, a, that's exactly what i was thinking of F- floyd yeah. versus <laughs> <Yeah>. paul
2: <laughs> no shot dude there's no shot that's happening <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen, but the kid okay, ain't got a shot in hell. Right? No, Come
0: but on. like, like, what's the early line on that? Because last time, the last time we actually spoke on the show was the Connor and Floyd fight. And I, I don't know anything about Logan Paul or Jake Paul or whoever the fuck it is, but I would assume that Connor would have a better chance of beating Floyd than the, one of these random
2: guys. <laughs> he's actually not, I, I got to be honest with you, he's not, he's not a terror, I mean, I wouldn't put him up there. Like, I would say he'd be able to maybe compete in the lower brackets of the you know, golden gloves and stuff like that, but... He's not horrible. The kid's not a horrible, horrible boxer. I mean, he's not terrible. I mean, he's got the money behind him. You know, he's got all he does is train. I mean, he's got a ring in his in his house and his living room cleared out all the furniture. So it's not like he's, he's horrible, but I mean, come on, this is, it's, it's actually a joke. It's, it's, it's sickening to me because I love boxing and how they're making a mockery of the sport right now.
0: Well, Paul, do you think you can set up a, a zoom shoey with Mad Lab at some point? Oh, we could do it in, in real, in real time, real life, uh, maybe when COVID allows, but I mean, I'm, I've got the boot right here. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I, I got I
0: got I got some beers behind me. I got a boot uh, boot right next to me as well. It's it's always in this studio ready to roll. So
2: right, we'll do a shoe one day.
0: Yeah, well once COVID ends, we'll all get together in Vegas for some big fight, and you know we, we can video you guys doing some shoeys. Tell everyone what they can expect to get at the MadLabMMA.com.
2: Yeah, so we got a lot of stuff going on. You know, obviously you're getting the full breakdowns. You're getting the daily fantasy breakdowns. Uh, I just started within the last month or two. I started doing all the projections for Fantasy Labs over there. Uh, so you can get my projections over over there. If you like to run the optimizer, then, you know, you can get my stuff with that. Um, we do Monkey Night Fight. We do, you know, obviously Vegas. Uh, we do a live stream. We do a private podcast. We got the private community. Uh, We're running a special for the first time ever since, you know, we've been open for this card. Actually, we're doing a a fight pass uh, for the for the McGregor fight um, 1999. So you can go check that out. We just we got a really good community, bunch of good guys. We got some sharp guys in there. We got some new guys in there. We got guys all over the board. Everyone's very welcoming. So, uh, you know, you guys want to come check it out. We'd love to have you
0: lab is going to be doing a main event video on mayo media network as well for everyone to go check out and brett you're doing the videos every single friday let everyone know at dailyfanmma.com what they can expect to get by checking you out
1: yeah yeah same stuff breakdowns podcasts rankings projections uh we got a good community as well i mean look subscribe to me subscribe to mike subscribe to one of the other guys in the industry um get some extra help though. You know, it's, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to break down all these fighters every single week. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what we specialize in. And, um, yeah. So, uh, breakdowns, rankings, projections, same stuff every week. I'll have the quick picks video up on the Mayo media network on Friday morning. If you're looking for free content, also got a free newsletter out as well. So, no matter what you want, there's something for you here. Dailyfanmma.com to check all of that out. The Dogger Pass
0: podcast already out on Mayo Media Network with Paul and Cody. No shoeies involved in this one because we filmed it r- immediately following. They both took a bath on the card before, so they're like kind of edgy at the very beginning. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious.
2: But What uh, happened with Magni, man? I mean, it, 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 Jesus, God. Pa- Paul? I, I, I Paul, really what got happened? that wrong.
0: Why was he trying to engage in grappling? I and mean, I think he was trying to cook him. I think he was trying to, like, he thought that Chiesa was going to gas, but it was very clear that, like, he had no way of getting back up off of his back. He was obviously it- out Oh.
2: It was just such a horrible game plan. I mean, from top to bottom, it was just. It, I mean, it was exactly what you said. I I couldn't figure out why. Like, what do you do? He just had kept engaging in the wrestling, engaging in the wrestling. I got that. Like, I was so off the mark with that one. I was. I couldn't even believe it. I, I Bush called me. He's like, "You all right?" I didn't. Even, I didn't talk to him for two hours. <laughs>
0: so that's up there right now if you go check out in the description of this video you can find all of the links to the dogger pass audio podcast in the video again is just up on mayo media network where you're watching this right now but go subscribe on apple podcast to the dogger pass podcast you leave a five-star review along with your twitter handle uh, or your email address just some way i can contact you and you know something nice about the show obviously uh you're in a draw for a hundred U.S. dollars winners announced on next week's. Well, not next week's, the week after, because there is no MMA next week. Two weeks from now, uh, Dogger Pass podcast. AFC Championship, NFC Championship, DraftKings picks in preview. Probably not going to be too, too long of a show because there's only two games that you can go do. My advice, just leave some money on the table and then take whoever that you want because you're going to end up with many of the same plays as everyone else. Maybe you have that one sleeper that you have to have in or you have the right combination to go in. Always recommend you go to FTNDaily.com. Use code MAO, get yourself a discount on all of the advice and the projections, ownership projections, cornerback matchups, and optimizer. That's up there right now. Obviously, it's very heavily discounted with only two weeks to go, but there's showdown contests, and if you're looking for showdown-specific contests, go to Media Network right now on YouTube. Subscribe to the page. Justin Freeman and David Jones will be breaking down one of the games each if you just want to get in on the solo action for what's going on on the showdown contest. They've both won, I think, over 500K each this year on NFL Showdown. So, I mean, they're the guys to listen to, not so much me. The other guy you might want to listen to, Jake Sealy from TheAthletic.com, who I always recommend to hit the like button and in the comment section, Jake, who's the sleeper <laughs> of the week?
3: Uh, you don't want to listen to me, chalk donkey. Uh, Austin Eclair,
0: let's go with the Eclair because he sounds delicious.
3: Yes, exactly. That's the first thing that came to mind. I knew you would have something for him.
0: <laughs> I, I, I just I'm off the top of my head, I, I'm here, I'm having fun. It's a fun week. And you know, we had a bunch of golf, we had the spread pick show that's already out up on the Pat Mayo experience feed, both audio and video. Plus, I mean, I want to tell everyone right now, you got to go and check out the UFC 257 DraftKings picks and preview that is already out. If you're listening to this on the audio podcast, it was, you know, the part before this part on the show. So uh, that's one way to look at it. Also, it's uh, you can go to the Dogger Pass podcast fight by fight betting preview for the big card this week. Obviously, Conor is fighting. So you can go check out their audio podcast feed or check out the video up on Mayo Media Network right now. Let's jump into this. What team are you building around? What game are you building around?
3: Well, so first of all, it's Anthony Eclair. It's not even Austin Eclair. (laughs) Uh, But I am i think I'm going to be on what a lot of people are on. Hey, Chalk Donkey, right? I I think Bill's Chiefs are the way to go if Mahomes is playing. Not only the fact that you get Bill's Chiefs the second game, so that opens up some flexibility for you because you can see what you hit in the beginning of the game if you have a sleeper in the first game. But that just looks to be the higher-scoring game. It's got the higher over-under. But even besides that, you go back to the first one, Aaron Rodgers was his worst game of the season, the only game with no touchdowns, the only game with multiple interceptions. That's not the same Aaron Rodgers anymore. That was back in week six, I think it was. And while I think that they win, I, I just don't see. So uh, interesting, I found when I was looking at this line, Pat, is that the Packers have hit over for this game. Uh, it's 51 and a half right now, or 51, depending on where you're looking. They've hit the over in that in eight games. And all eight of those games, their opponent scored 25. The interesting thing is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, every single game they won, they scored at least 25. Every their, All their losses were less than 25 points. So it's interesting if you're going to say, this game? Well, then if you go by history of the season, they don't score 25. You see what I'm saying? So I actually think the, bet, the better scoring game is going to be Buffalo chiefs and i think a lot of people are i don't think that's a shock to anybody
0: no i'd say i'd say it's probably a three to one type build that will go with chiefs and bills against the buccaneers and packers and on a small slate like this that would almost lean you more towards packers and tampa bay and for me the move is probably build around tampa bay when it comes down to it, because if they're gonna win, obviously, if they're gonna, like you said, if they're gonna lose the game, they don't score very many points, but if they're going to win the game, then they probably will score a bunch of points. You would at least have to think that way. And it's not like the over-under in game totals for each of your games are significantly off, because I do think you really wanna go hammer. On one team, stack the comeback in that game and take your sleepers from the other game and hope to hit either. I mean, you can play Diggs by himself if you play at the other end of the game and maybe pick a chief to play, or maybe you play a John Brown from the Bills game. And that's like your only Bills exposure with the whole point being, hey, maybe everything funnels through John Brown. He catches two touchdowns and offset everything and your stack ends up going off. And the only reason I say the Bucks is because I assume because of the confusion that they have at receiver, they'll be the lowest owned of these four teams.
3: And you have the Jair Alexander, too, and the fact that Mike Evans, despite catching a touchdown last week, didn't really do much because it was the one catch for three yards. So if Alexander does the same thing Lattimore does and what he's been doing this entire season and decides to shadow and stay on top of Mike Evans and limits him, now you're down to Chris Godwin and a gimpy Antonio Brown who missed practice as of now. As you always say, we're recording this on Thursday, so we don't have the Thursday practices yet. But I, that's where I agree with you, is I think a lot of people are concerned about Tom Brady with these options, with not 100%, with a bad matchup at corner. And not that Mike Evans can't get away from Alexander, but you just fold all those things in. And where I would agree with you in a tournament lineup, that seems to be where you're going to get the most differentiation is if you stack a Tom Brady and even go back to Gronkowski because Gronkowski, he keeps going to him, that being Tom Brady, keeps going to him, missed a touchdown twice, essentially. Uh, He just kind of keeps just being off by about this much. And Cameron Brate's been out there a lot, but your point about it stands, you know, Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, you kind of bring all those through and you're definitely going to have a different lineup than most people to start.
0: Do you think that Antonio Brown ends up going in this game?
3: Uh, I, it's Thursday is going to depend. If he's completely out again on Thursday, then I'd say it's hard for him to go if he gets a limited session in. But I think the interesting thing for me is that I don't – it's going to be like you and I talked about last week where we said we like Michael Hardman more if Sammy Watkins does play because he's not going to be 100% because that'll get the ownership off of him. Uh, it's kind of the same situation here. I, I kind of want Antonio Brown to be active so I can go to Scotty Miller and take that chance. And I know a lot of people are going to be pissed off because that one time in the beginning, what was it, middle of the season before Antonio Brown was there? It was like week five, six, seven, somewhere around there. Everybody was on Scotty Miller and he did nothing because he was the decoy. Uh, so I, I want that to kind of happen for that reason. If Antonio Brown plays, I'm going to see some Scotty Miller. If, I mean, even Johnson could be a decent flyer. It could be Johnson as a big play and not Scotty Miller. But either way, you get both of them. I think you're going to get people on them if Antonio Brown is out. So you kind of bring in some ownership that you don't want. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I, I do. So like Tower Johnson played 21% of the snaps last week. Scotty Miller played 11% of the snaps. It does feel like Tower Johnson might end up being a bigger play threat that you're going to have to take a complete jabroni or two in your lineup like that's just the case this week unless you play uh
3: um, one i really like
0: well that's good who is it tell me I, I need to play this guy
3: well i wasn't sure how you were doing the show this time because no there's, listen, there's two know, games
0: but we're just throwing we're, we're throwing <laughs> shit against the wall here so well
3: it's in the same game my flyer tanner really game, which i really no. it's just Equina- really like on Equ- the other side of the ball
0: equinamia st brown
3: No, but it's also somebody with a long name. So there you go. It's Marquez Valdez-Scantling because Tampa Bay this year, if you're on paper, if you're looking at them, been more susceptible to the slot wide receivers. Russell Gage beat him up twice. Uh, If you look at it, Marquez Valdez-Scantling spends time in the slot. And then as we know, because he's kind of, he doesn't run like a pure slot, like a Scotty Miller. He doesn't run those kind of routes. He's that similar to Michael Thomas, where he's running a lot of those seam and go routes out of the slot. And as you've mentioned time and time again, All it takes is Valdez-Scantling catching two passes because he's got that Marquise Brown big play upside, but he also works out of the slot, which is great for the matchup. So I think Marquez-Valdez-Scantling at 3,900, that's one I'm going to have a lot on my teams.
0: Okay. If we weren't concerned about a popular build, we just wanted to play the best plays, what do you think the best plays of the week are? Like, If you were going to take one quarterback and pair him up with Mm -hmm. someone, who is it? Is it Josh Allen and Stephan Diggs? Because I think that's where I would lean.
3: That's where I would lean. And the the interesting thing you say here is if you're just going for the best play, and this is what I would do if you're going to play cash, I know we're not really talking about that, but if you are, I've built a couple cash lineups with Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, because you can do it. Or take one of those wide receivers out, put in tra- Travis Kelsey, and you go cheap at running back. Like That's really what you can do here, because look at the running back situation right now. Like, Aaron Jones, 6,500. Aaron Jones is sharing too much with Jamal. Actually, you're like Jamal Williams for the discount at 4,400 because what's the difference between Jones and Williams really on their ceiling? Jamal Williams can score two touchdowns any given game. And then you get down to the Tampa Bay mess, and Edwards Alaire. if he's healthy, it sounds like he's going to play, but now you've got that mess of a backfield with three, four options potentially involved. Devin Singletary doesn't touch the ball. So if it's me, I'm going to go cheap at running back. And like Again, you said the best plays, and I'm going to either go Josh Allen with Diggs, which I agree is the best combination, or even Rodgers with Adams, and then add in a Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Diggs. Like I think there's a combination you can work there.
0: What is your expectation from Clyde Edwards-Alaire this week? Do we think that he goes, and if he does go, like how big is his role going to be? Because the move might be just go back to Daryl Williams again.
3: That might be the interesting move. I think that one will kind of depend on the ownership. If the Edwards-Alaire ownership is the lowest, I might go in on him because before he got hurt, he was the lead. And I do think he's going to play because he was out there in limited fashion, but he was out there on Wednesday, which makes it sound like he's way ahead of the schedule he was last week and probably out there. If he plays, I think they're going to give him the majority of work, but majority as in. 13, 15 touches max and Daryl Williams gets still his eight to 12. And then we know Levy on bills kind of a wasted space at this point. And, you know, so I think it'll come down to where do people go at that point? Cause they're only $200 difference. So Edwards Alaire versus Williams. The, just give me whoever's at lower own, because I don't think we're going to know. I don't think we know who's the usage is going to be definitively.
0: I, I would almost assume that if Edwards, a is active, then he is going to be the one with the ownership and people will push Williams back to the back burner.
3: Then give me Williams.
0: Oh. What about Byron Pringle, who played almost half the snaps last week for the chiefs?
3: Sammy Watkins is supposed to be back
0: he, for sure. That's,
3: that's that just, yeah, he's supposed to be that that just kills that right there. Sammy yeah. Watkins. Yeah. What was the, what was yesterday's report? Because it was the same with Edwards Alaire too. I am pulling it up while we're while we're talking here. Sammy Watkins, it'll be the first. And he's playoff Sammy Watkins at thirty eight hundred. His price track. Yeah, already practiced on Wednesday. Both he and Edwards Alaire were both out there practicing on Wednesday, so that makes it sound like they're ready to go.
0: What do we make of Beasley? Only played sixty three percent of the snaps last week. Obviously, he took a big shit in everyone's lineup. Is he someone yes. that you can see getting going again this week? Because I <laughs> doubt people are very unforgiving when it comes to their lineups. So I know there are very limited options, but where we really liked, as we spoke about, we liked John Brown a lot last week because that big play potential. Now you're going to see a situation where everyone loves John Brown this week. Everyone's going to use John Brown this week. And like the heat is off Cole Beasley a little bit. Not that he'll be unowned. There's only so many guys that you can play on this slate who are actually impact players. But I feel like he isn't a nice leverage spot for that Bill's offense.
3: Yeah, I actually, I'll go back to Beasley. I was on Beasley for the exact reason of why Diggs did so much against them last week is the the opportunity was over the middle of the field and out of the slot. And Beasley still has another decent chance this week because if you look at this, the one the one downside to it is you, you like Diggs, you like Brown, and everybody's going to be on Brown for the reason of what we were talking about the Chiefs last week is that just like their opponent last week. And the fact that they give up a ton of go grouts, so do the chiefs. So Brown should essentially hit, but maybe that's where you say, okay, Diggs takes that away from Brown. Maybe just, maybe one of them goes to Gabriel Davis. Uh, but you kind of bring back Cole Beasley because you, we talk about the recency bias all the time. And it's people hate it's an off season piece. I do for seasonal is last year's trash. People hate to go back to people that burn them. So it, the savings and, you know, I have a lot I'm looking at this is why I'm looking down right now is because I'm looking at a lineup right now where I have Allen, Diggs and Beasley, and I brought it back with Kelsey and Hill on the other side. And, yeah, that's going to be a very common thing to stack this game and to bring it back. But to be able to do Allen, Diggs, Beasley, Kelsey, Hill all in the same lineup, you know, maybe there's a lot of overlap, but that that's just a very appealing way to go. You can't do it. What I'm saying is you can't do it with John Brown. He kind of pushes too much out.
0: Do you have any lean between Fournette and Ronald Jones?
3: I, you know, I don't, but that's why I'm going to go to Ronald Jones because I think everybody's going to be on Fournette. Playoff Lenny is what they're calling him now. And the fact that he's been doing great, but Ronald Jones wasn't hundred percent played a decent amount last week. I keep bringing it up. I know I've said this a million times to you is I'm just hoping for the Leonard Fournette game where, you know, it's 40, 50 yards, but he scores twice and against Green Bay, who's had a much better run defense in the second half of the season, yeah, I will go with that gamble just because Fournette for the price isn't terrible, but I feel like if you ask me today, I think he's going to be by far the highest owned running back.
0: Well, it's really, you kind of mentioned it, that if you just pay down at running back, not that the running backs this week are all that expensive. Like Aaron Jones is very clearly the number one running back on this slate. No one's going to deny that. That's why he's the most expensive by $1,200. But if you get into a circumstance where you can fade a big game from Aaron Jones, then I think a lot of the possibilities are open for some of these mega lineups. Like you talked about, like play Jamal Williams instead. I'll probably end up fading Jones Fournette, and single Terry taking Jamal Williams and then picking my poison between Ronald Jones and Daryl Williams. That's probably how I'm going to end up playing my running backs this week and then just going superstars at receiver and quarterback and tight end.
3: The interesting, the interesting thing with that, too, is I actually have a lineup very similar to that I'm looking at right now. And with if you leave some money on the table, you can actually, Williams versus Ronald Jones, their price is only $200 apart. Now, granted, you would have to make the decision in the early game. But I'm saying if you would get to Saturday with some projected ownership and you just want to take the one that's more likely to be uh, on fewer rosters than you want to do. It may probably going to be Jamal Williams and Jamal Williams in the early game. Cause you're going to get the Buccaneers run defense. You're going to get the split backfield. There's some people still talking up AJ Dillon, but I like the fact that he's missing practice for Jamal Williams sake. Uh, I think that he's the interesting play. And then, you know, out of the early game, whether or not that hit.
0: I'm just looking at the defenses right now, if we're going to save money, where do you like going at defense? I think that, The Bucks are going to be the most popular D just because they are the cheapest defense. Uh, And you can envision a path to where they end up having a really nice fantasy game. Like none of these defenses are great. You don't feel good about playing against any of these offenses. So you almost have to pick your poison. I was almost thinking that the Packers might be the play because they're unreasonably priced at $3,600. That yes. makes no sense because uh, they are probably the worst of these four defenses just overall. Uh, they score the fewest fantasy points per game on DraftKings. like They're at 5.8 per game for the season. Uh, after that, it's the Chiefs at 6.7, so they're almost a full point behind on average per game. All of the other defenses on this slate, people are going to look at be like, not a great defense, but... At the same time, this is all on a small slate like this. Again, you have to think, what are the percentage chances that any of these four defenses score them more than 10 points? Probably not all that high, is it?
3: (laughs) No, it's not. And honestly, if something goes crazy sideways with Mahomes and he's not playing, the bills will be fought. Sure. Everybody will be on the bills. We're expecting Mahomes to play, though. Right. So with that, I'm with you on the Packers. Actually, I'm going to go with the two higher-priced ones. And by the way, I will victory lap this on your show. Remember everybody that wanted to play the Rams? And I told you, I'm not saying against you versus me, but there were so many people that wanted to play the Rams. How'd that work out for you in DFS? I don't take cheap people. I was warning you, don't take them. Because that's why I'm off the Bucks Again, you, see, you mentioned, yes, maybe the Bucs can score 6 or 7, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw interceptions. And he's at home. So... With you, I would go for the Packers if you can afford them because I don't expect them to be – because what you said, the price. The price is going to push a lot of people off them. But Tom Brady is somebody who can go haywire versus Aaron Rodgers. You know, He does have multiple games with multiple interceptions, and he'll take some sacks sometimes. So I think that's the play. And then the Chiefs play is obviously what we've talked about a lot. It really hasn't happened this year, but if Josh Allen goes – Josh Allen crazy for a game and starts taking some sacks and throwing some turnovers and maybe even gets taken down from behind and the ball gets stripped from me, causes a fumble that could potentially get returned for a touchdown. I think that might be the play there. I think that's the one with Mahomes playing. I know some people will argue. You could say the same for the Buffaloes defense. They just had a touchdown, but I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not doing the Bills or the Buccaneers.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just going to go with the Packers. The Bucks are going to be by far the highest owned defense. I, I really do think that just because their price makes everything work. And like I said, if no none of these defenses are projected to have a big game, then what's the harm in really going with the cheapest one? Your lineup's not really going to be all that critically damaged if the Bucks score two points and the Packers score six points. Uh, the savings that you get is probably more sure. valuable than that gap. But that's why I kind of like the Packers because all this is is about trying to fluke your way into a touchdown somehow and if the Packers are going to be by far the lowest owned of these defenses which I do project them to be then you know if all things being equal that you have a circumstance where you know the defenses have an equal shot of scoring a touchdown just give me the lowest owned one because if it actually happens then it's far more impactful in my lineup than it is in anyone else's
3: Exactly. And that's, that's really what we're going for here is you mentioned it time and again, and I think I'll draw the comparison from Mark Andrews from two or three weeks ago. You know, if the defense, if that player, if that pick, you know, if the gap ends up only being, as you said, that gap only ends up being five, six, seven points, then you know what the Buccaneers, even if they score a zero and the top defense scores seven it still was the better play because of what you can do flexibility wise. But if you have any defense that could potentially get into the teens, 15, you really kind of break the slate at that position. That's why. So uh, yeah, I'm with you on the Packers. I still think the chiefs could potentially do it just because we've seen it before. And if you need the 500, that's a $500 difference. I think the chiefs defense has similar upside to the Packers. So I, I, you know, if I need the savings, I'll go to the chiefs, but I'm with you. The most, the one that I'm going to try and plug in the most is, is the Packers.
0: I, I just thinking about it right now I just i the chiefs will probably be higher on than the bills i would think especially if mahomes is good to go huh how would this end up where i'm trying to parse through how this end up working tampa casey buffalo green bay is i project the ownership order of those four so i'm curious to see how that ends up going and by projections i see
3: green bay over buffalo because of mahomes
0: no just the price difference is just too, you, too extreme
3: you, you, you think it's too big
0: yeah if people want to save money at defense, they should try to save money at defense. But on <laughs> right. a f- on a two game slate, it works a little bit differently than it normally would. The last thing I want to do is go through each of the teams and try to find, like you said, the one guy who you have to basically take the shot in the dark on. You have to gamble that this guy's going to be good, he's going to catch a touchdown, and that's what separates your team because you know we can tell you play Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. Yeah, no shit. Who is the guy from the Bills (laughs) that you should actually be playing who could luck his way into the touchdown? So is it Gabriel Davis? Is it Dawson Knox? Is it Lee Smith? Is it Isaiah McKenzie? Like, which one of those guys would be on your radar?
3: Uh, Gabriel Davis is banged up, too. Uh, You know what? So would that make it Isaiah McKenzie? If Gabriel Davis is out, I think that would make it Isaiah McKenzie. If Gabriel Davis plays... Yeah, he's still forty one hundred. I think Beasley comes into this conversation. Does he not count at forty one
0: hundred? No, because people are going. People are going to play Cole Beasley. They just will. <laughs> he's Cole Beasley. He's good.
3: Yeah, but I just I the problem is is I'm just I don't like the bill. If you have Beasley, Brown, and Stefan Diggs, I just I'm not going to go Gabriel Davis or as Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie. So if you tell me no Gabriel Davis, then yes, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go chase i know that's what we're trying to do but i'm still i'm not going to chase the fourth option when it's a split fourth option opportunity if you told me it was one person as the fourth option then yes but i'm not going to do a split
0: but the whole point of this is like you're going to need that differentiator in order to win so but this
3: doesn't always happen on every team
0: no i i I, I understand So so you don't think it comes from buffalo so again so dawson knox is just out on this
3: it does, it's not that he's not on it, but even when he scores a touchdown, he doesn't even hit double digit points. That's my problem with Dawson Knox. I mean, you've been right on him before with scoring a touchdown, but what's his season high? Uh,
0: Eight? Yeah, oh, probably, he's got 11, pro- probably nine points, something like that. But on, again, on he's, this slate for that price, that's how you unlock and play right. all of the big guys. And your shitty guy needs to be less shitty than the other shitty guys.
3: <laughs> and no, I agree with you. No, and I'm not saying that's not the strategy. I'm just saying, I was just talking purely Dawson Knox. You know, he scored double digit twice. If I was going with somebody from Buffalo because it's tight end, I would go Dawson Knox.
0: Okay, chief side of the ball. If Sammy Watkins isn't back, it would be Pringle for me. If Sammy Watkins is back, it's probably Sammy Watkins, isn't it? <laughs>
3: I think so, and actually, it's not Pringle for me. If it's Sammy Watkins as a back, it's Demarcus Robinson for me, because everybody's going to be on Michael Hardman. DeMarcus oh no, pe- pe- people will be on
0: there. people will be on both of them. No one will use Pringle. The ownership discount that you would get on Pringle versus those other two, and Hardman would objectively be the better play. Like the the lowest the lowest ceiling outcome is definitely Pringle, but Pringle's also going to be the one in this game that's three percent owned instead of you know a floor of twelve percent.
3: Well, see, that's what was, what was Demarcus Robinson's last week. That's what I feel. I feel like people just don't want to use Demarcus Robinson.
0: No, but we're also condensing the slate too. Where we've cut out four teams.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still, eh. All right, fine. Yeah, if if you're if it's, you're going to tell me that Demarcus Robinson does get up near Nicole Hardman ownership, then sure, I would go with Byron Pringle. Pringle is this. This one feels kind of obvious for this entire game. Unless it's Anthony Sherman who runs for a touchdown.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's hope that doesn't end up happening. From the Packers, (laughs) uh, I said St. Brown. Uh, I think that's where I would stick with them because I don't think that my main man, Mercedes Lewis, is going to get it done.
3: No. Uh, That would be and I hate
0: St. Brown too but
3: that's that's he, the only one down in this range cuz Valdez Scantling is going to have ownership.
0: Oh yeah, for sure cuz cuz he well he's a name, he's a big play threat and he's cheap. That that's a perfect combination for being thrown in the back end of lineups. St. Brown, it's not like he wasn't out there last week. Like he almost scored a touchdown oh, too. Why. Like
3: yeah, he's just not that he's just not that
0: good. That's and, my well, problem. In fairness, neither is but neither is Valdez, he's, he's, Valdez Scantling.
3: <laughs> sure. Uh yeah, but yeah, that's the right call in this game. St. Brown's the right call in this game.
0: And then for the Bucks, feel like it could be almost we already anyone, talked about but I feel like it could be anyone.
3: No, but the play here is if Antonio, hope Antonio Brown plays and then Tyron Johnson and Scotty Miller.
0: But not like, that's, that's what, the, what about someone like Breit in this game?
3: I've, that's, you know what, that kind of, you bring up the argument for Breit is my argument, is your argument that you were making for like Demarcus Robinson. I think that people are already on him because of the last two games. The last two games he's been out there as much and running routes a little bit more. I think he was either last week or two weeks ago. The one of those two games, he was running more routes than Gronkowski. So I feel like people are already on Braid. That's why.
0: Would you play Gronk or Braid?
3: I'd play Gronk because I think people are on Braid because Braid's outplayed him in fantasy purposes the last two games because Gronk keeps getting missed. Like Tom Brady's not connecting with us. Can we stop trying to get Gronk hurt, by the way? Stop making him lay out. Every time he goes for one of those diving catches, I'm worried Gronk's going to come up lame. But... That's why I think people are going to go to this feels like earlier this season when this happened, when we were doing this whole break It's like, oh, my God, he's doing this is before Gronk really started playing well in like week six or seven is people were kind of on break. And then all of a sudden that it happened. That's when Gronk finally woke up. This is I feel like people are going to be on break. And if so, then I'm going to be on Gronk at thirty
0: two hundred. Actually, we didn't really talk about it. Do you think um, Gronk is going to definitely be way higher on the break, by the way. You think so? <laughs> yeah, it's not even going to be close. Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You th- you I... you you have this perception that people are playing DraftKings like they're coming at it with like, how do I say? it? You're very insular when it comes to thinking about sort of this stuff. You're not taking the actual public perception into account okay. when people go fill out lines like, oh, I know Gronk, I'll play Gronk. Like sometimes it's that I,
3: I, okay. I'm playing too many. It's just what I'm playing too many of like our not r but like the the single three max entry you know the people with the higher now that's okay that's that's fair
0: like i would i would expect that wasn't like supposed and, to
3: be a shot at anybody
0: and, 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 and this is just throwing out i would guess that gronk's ownership is like 13 percent and brates is like eight something like that okay and right, that's that fair that, well, i was gonna sidebar that, question that, for that, you. that could even skew a bit it's just like kelsey is gonna be by far the highest owned one then it'll be tanya's
3: That was what I was going to say. Do you think Tunyon's the highest tight end? That's not Kelsey.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. But that's going to put him closer to Gronk than it will to Kelsey. Kelsey will be owning like 90% of contests as he should be.
3: (laughs) Yeah. If you can find it, are you fading Kelsey at all?
0: No, I would fade Hill before I faded Kelsey in that game.
3: So I agree with you. I actually that's what the, to go back to what I was talking about when I pulled out the wide receiver. Well, okay, so I have one lineup when I have the Kelsey and Hill because that's the Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley one. But when I've done the Diggs, Adams, Hill, when I pulled one of them out to put Kelsey in and do it was Diggs, Adams and Kelsey, not Diggs, Hill and Kelsey.
0: Okay. Yeah. I just ways that you can get around some of the like duplicated lineups this week uh two tight ends uh one in your flex one in your tight end spot is one way to get around it leave at least like 300 to 500 bucks. you can leave more than that but leaving leaving at least that much on the table is how you can differentiate your lineups
3: yeah i have one lineup with 300 dollars on the table you could even possibly go a little bit higher than that so to differentiate what do you think about do you think there's going to be a chance that you immediately get different by going mahomes no because i
0: think a lot of people I don't.
3: You don't think a lot of people are going to do with what what the lineup that I was talking about is stack that game, but stack it with Josh Allen because of the savings.
0: I, I think you're probably looking at a circumstance where Allen and Mahomes are one and two in ownership. Allen's probably higher I I, I I would say Rodgers I would say I would say that Allen's probably maybe it's completely flat I don't know but it just how do people actually want to stack these games and like we said people want to stack the Bills and Chiefs game they know Mahomes is a bit banged up and he's more expensive so Josh Allen will be the higher owned but it's not like people are going to look at this and be like don't want to play Patrick Mahomes No, they want to play Patrick (laughs) Mahomes
3: I just think I was thinking because of the money. Like I was thinking Rogers and Allen because of the prices and the the price on Rogers still sixty five hundred. I just felt like they were going to be one and two.
0: Now I would guess that Rogers is going to be the lowest owned. Really, I thought it was going to be Brady. No, because Brady's cheap. So you have He's the four hundred dollars. I had four hundred dollars could be a lot on the slate.
3: Hmm.
0: That's just the way that people go about it. Like, if, if there's two... And I... People have a lot of respect for the Bucks defense. Like, people will look at this and be like, oh, the Bucks have the best defense left, so I'll not take the quarterback against them. I'll take the cheaper quarterback against the worst defense.
3: Yeah, but I'll th- it's similar to the run defense for the Packers, is the Bucks defense wasn't that great. It, it doesn't matter if they're, they're actually flipped, good, flipped.
0: or it doesn't matter if they're actually good or actually bad. It's what people think. Oh, no, right? no. And I'm that's just, how they pick their teams.
3: Right, right. I'm just telling people for... Opponent-wise, like, don't be afraid of Aaron Rodgers. That's no, I, I,
0: I would not be. Like I said, the... Oh, how that
3: worked last week.
0: <laughs> that that game in particular is going to be the lower-owned part of this week. So if you can find the options in that game or just completely stack Bucks or Packers, that's probably the best way to leverage yourself against the field. Although I want to play Josh Allen team because I think that Josh Allen's the best player. Josh Allen, Diggs, like, I feel like you're going to need them to win.
3: You've... Oh, I thought... Uh, Right. So, you think you're going to need them to win a tournament? Like, those are that's your play, is what you're saying. You don't, you're not saying that as in like a differentiation. System. No, I, I
0: think that if you're going to play, even last week, like I did really well in the hundred dollar spy with a Patrick Mahomes chief stack because uh, as we talked about, we faded Singletary, you know, didn't need Singletary at all. Play Cam Akers, play Cam Akers, that worked out pretty well. I didn't have Fournette, but you know that wasn't that big of a deal. I ended up winning like 4X my money in that one, uh, even with Mahomes. <laughs> like last week, it was so flat across the board in terms of fantasy points scored at quarterback that you really could have rolled anyone out there as long as the rest of your plays hit. This week, one of these guys is going to jump out. If you can, f- it's just like the defense. If you can pick the right defense, and pick the right quarterback, the plays in between of that sandwich are pretty obvious, I think. Mm, sandwiches, hmm <laughs>
3: If you're going with the Tampa Bay stack that you're talking about to be different from before, are you going to go Brady, go- Godwin, Mike Evans just because the savings is so easy?
0: No, I would probably go Brady, Godwin, Gronk.
3: Then you wouldn't bring you wouldn't bring a fourth in?
0: I might. I mean, I'd have to ask my wife about that, but, you know, it's a bit extreme. <laughs> but it would be one of, like, the absolute jabronis I would bring in. Like, maybe I play Gronk and Brady. Maybe I play... <laughs> Johnson. Maybe I play Scotty Miller, or those are my, three. Well, so that was the- <laughs> those are my three. I hope everything funnels through them and then bring it back with Adams Williams and just completely go hog on that game.
3: So, and thank you for that, by the way. So you brought my, my last question for you was going to be the two tight end lineup because that one in one of the tournaments I was in last week, it was the winning lineup was the Tanya in the flex it the this idiot again for everybody. Stop doing that. Stop burning your flex in the first game. Stop. But anyway, he had the Kelsey Tanyan, which you could have put Kelsey in the flex and done it. That that's it, it, a lineup build situation. But anyway, he, the two tight end ended up being the tournament that I was in. He was the number one was the tournament was the, Kelsey Tanyan so are you thinking that route for this week was going to be my final question
0: yeah I mean you can get away with it and I think that fewer people will do it it allows you to play more popular plays but in a way that a lot of people aren't doing and sometimes that's the best way to manufacture a lineup and and if you play guys. Kelsey in the flex, so you'd want to play Tunyon first, uh, in the tight end spot, and put Kelsey in your flex. That gives you two options too. It lets you know where you stand going into the later set of games. That hey, do I have a lead, or I can look at who's at the top of the standings and player minutes remaining. I can almost assure you that Kelsey's going to be owned by every single team. That if you're behind <laughs> all of the other Kelsey teams, then you can't play Kelsey. You have to go somewhere else.
3: Would you actually? I lied to you. One more question for you: Would you ever double down on the backfield? Because I've gotten some of those questions. Would you like? Would you do Uh, a Edwards-Alaire Williams? Would you do a Jones Williams? Would you double down on some of them? Because, or Fournette Jones? Like you get the people out there, but you get the entire backfield. Fournette,
0: Fournette Jones would probably be the only one I would consider because I can realistically see them splitting carries, splitting goal line touches in best case scenario for them. And then you have to hope that Tampa scores all of its points on the ground, but that's not something I'm going to do here.
3: Okay. There's another curiosity question for you.
0: All right. Jake Sealy. Follow him on Twitter at all in kid, read him on theAthletic.com. How about next week we get together and we try to come up with like a top 30 rankings for 2021 fantasy football.
3: That's certainly easy for me because my way too early rankings come out on Monday.
0: There we go. Then I can start cobbling mine together and we'll be good to go on this front.
3: That'll be the other way. You can yell at me about my rankings instead
0: of me yelling about yours. That would be nice. That's a situation. Maybe that's what we'll do for next year. You just give your rankings and I'll be like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Move that guy up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this guy comes in here and just criticized Pat's rankings that's the that's
0: the point, that's of, the the point of the show the show you yeah. we, 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 we all we also hate each other in real life so you know that that anger that you see on the show just you know it translates off yes. camera too. anyway
3: i've been to toronto and i've been to pat's well your old place
0: my old place that's true i don't live there anymore yeah I upgraded, although my old place was really nice, yep. but I was renting it. I didn't own it, so you know, I couldn't stay there. Couldn't afford it. It was too nice for me, too rich for my blood. <laughs> anyway, subscribe to the Pat nice. Mayo Experience audio podcast, UFC picks, golf picks, football picks. It's all up there right now. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Smash the like button to this episode and sub to Mayo Media Network and check out all of the awesome UFC content that we got coming up for the Conor McGregor fight. All right, good luck this week. I'll see you next time.
2: Mayo Experience! EXPERIENCE!